yet. Take your seats! Please, God! Line. Can we just go back, please? Can we just cut? Can we just cut? Mr. Miller, would you be so kind as to collect the pistol hanging off these boys' hips here? And the Oscar goes to Leonardo DiCaprio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Classic Movies Live presents Losing It Over. What was his name? Oh my God! I was gonna start this off with a, I was gonna start this off with a whole different thing, and I completely forgot the guy's name. Leguizamo. We're losing it over Leguizamo today, the show where we talk about John Leguizamo and all of his movies that are Romeo and Juliet. That's right. We're talking about Romeo and Juliet today from 1996. Pierre, why don't you tell us what you think of John Leguizamo? I don't know who that is. I, was he in the movie? I'm guessing. He was Tybalt. Oh, Tybalt. He's a... That guy's from Chef. Have you seen Chef? I have not seen Chef, but that oh. sounds... I think he might have been. Um, I know him from John Wick. Oh. Specifically. I, don't remember. I, I haven't seen John Wick for a while, so I don't remember. Uh, he was the mechanic in John Wick. He was Luigi in Super Mario Bros., and he's been in a bunch of other stuff in my in in like supporting roles, like big name supporting roles. But I can't think of anything specifically. Wait, are you talking about a voice role a... for Luigi? No, no, I'm talking about the live action <laughs> Super Mario Bros. movie. Are you messing actually... with that live action? No, he was. Yeah, there's a live action Super Mario Bros. movie. I'm surprised you don't know about it. Oh, I thought uh, it and... was animated this whole time. No, it's live action, and John oh, Leguizamo God. plays Luigi. He actually. There was an interview that I saw, and I would have to find it again to even know if, it's, if this is a real memory, but there's an interview that I saw with John Leguizamo where he actually credits the live-action Super Mario Bros. movie for being kind of a stepping stone for him, into, which is really interesting because everyone hated that movie, including the people that worked on it. Yeah. So I always yeah. found that interesting that John Leguizamo, even though he didn't love working on it, still credits that movie with a large part of his success. Wow. Yeah. Wait, wait how much success has he had? I, I, I didn't know he was actually of a he president. Has, he has been a consistent, like he's been consistently getting work and like decent roles, but again, not that I know of any leading roles for since, since Mario and Luigi. Like he's been working consistently in Hollywood for 25, 30 years. Oh, damn. So, like, well, he okay. is successful. He's not, like, he's not, he's not Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. But uh, he is, he's doing well. Yeah. Speaking of and, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes, we are losing it over Leo, and today's movie is Romeo plus Juliet from 1996. Uh, this movie, I've, I've obviously made no secret of how surprised, of how excited I was to talk about this movie. Uh, and at the same time, I don't think you were very excited about this movie, were you, Pierre? I was not. I remember my English teacher showed me us this movie in, I think, grade nine, after we read Romeo and Juliet. And uh, grade nine, me could not believe what I was watching and thought it was completely ridiculous and stupid. Which, I mean, isn't in my... <laughs> I still think is wrong, but uh, I do have... This, some different feelings about this movie after watching it the second um and uh i actually had i've actually never read romeo and juliet and until this weekend i had never seen a production of it or anything uh so 
I was coming into this completely blind. And I have to say, the first time I watched it, I, I, I watched this twice for this. And I also watched a production of Romeo and Juliet in between. Uh, so I'm coming into this very prepared. But I got to say, the first time I watched it, I also more than anything else, thought it was very ridiculous. And ex I actually f found this movie extremely hard to follow as someone who hadn't uh, read or seen Romeo and Juliet before. Yeah. It, well, and, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not a great introduction to Romeo and Juliet, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely like a fresh take, you know? Yeah, actually, my opinion on this movie changed entirely from the first time that I watched it to the second time I watched it. Because like you said, it, it's not a good introduction. I was completely uh, unprepared to see this movie the first time I saw it because I didn't know any of it. And the main, I guess, like, I'm going to tell people sort of why this is so hard to follow. This movie, Romeo and Juliet, obviously takes place in what 14 1500s Italy uh, with everyone speaking Shakespearean English obviously it's Shakespeare and um, in that context you know it's an old play and you watch it and it's it's very good but it's you know you have to be in that mode to really follow it uh, this movie Romeo plus Juliet is all Shakespearean dialogue they did not rewrite a single word of dialogue except I think there's one time right at the beginning where John Leguizamo says bang that was not in the original Shakespearean uh, text. Anyway, aside from that, um, there's, there's nothing changed from the original text in this movie. And uh, except that the setting is Verona Beach in California, which I don't know if that's a real place. Verona Beach in California in the 90s with mafia families. Yeah. And um, it... Now, the first time I watched it, I had a very hard time following it because my eyes were seeing peak 90s trash and my ears were hearing like 1400s ancient English. So I could not... I couldn't... I, I, I couldn't reconcile the two and I just had no idea what I was trying... My, my, mind's, my mind was trying to process two different things, and I only barely could follow. Yeah, that, it, so it does what make I, it really rough, I'm not going to lie. So what, I did, so what I did after that is I went and I watched the uh, Globe Theater production from 2009 of the original, got the story because that was all done, you know, in period stuff, uh, watched that, and then I came back to this, and I really enjoyed it because now that I knew the story and I knew what was happening at every point, I found that the way, even just the act of filming it, not even necessarily the setting, um, some, parts, some, some parts of the setting, but the way that it was filmed really helped to um, remove some of the ambiguities of the original text. Just yeah. uh, like, I, for, one, for one really quick example, Early on, um, you, you're introduced to... The very first scene is a, uh, it's a fight between Montague boys and Capulet boys. Capulets being the uh, family of Juliet and Montague being the family of Romeo. And shortly after that, the prince, who in the movie is a uh, police chief and in the actual text is functionally a police chief, um, he reprimands the heads of the Capulet family and the Montague family and basically says, don't fight or I will ruin both of your houses. And uh, that happens in the play. But when I was watching the play, I didn't really, um, I didn't really get that it was any more than just three people talking. But then the way mm -hmm. they filmed that is that they had in, in the movie, they had both of the heads of the houses come into the uh, come into the police chief's office and he just sat there and scolded them again in Shakespearean English. But because of that single scene, I'm like, okay, this explains later on why the head of the Capulets won't let um, his uh, nephew, Tybalt, John Leguizamo, uh, just kill Romeo at a party. Because he's trying not to 
start up that fight again. So, I mean, that's, there's a couple of other things, but that specifically is the thing I think about when I'm uh, looking back on this and seeing how the movie, even just the, even just filming it, uh, really cleared up a lot of uh, ambiguities. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I do think the, cause obviously this movie, uh, Romeo and Juliet was based in a, a modern setting. I don't, did we clarify that? I, I think so, but okay. I mean, I, I think it bears as much repeating as we can. It's very important yeah. that this is so like, transplanted even, pretty hard. Even so, like the, the movie does put a lot of effort into making the the modern world, even like the actions of what they do fit the script as much as possible. Like, mm-hmm. um, so, so like there's certain actions, but then there's certain actions that I feel like don't entirely make sense in the modern world, you know, or even if, what they're talking about. And it, it does yeah. get very uh, confusing because there's lots of this talk uh, about like swords and daggers in, in the, in the script. And then I really, uh, they, I really they like their, where, uh, you can say how they deal with it. Yeah. I really like their way of dealing with it because they all have guns because this is the nineties and yeah. all of their guns, the brand on the gun is either sword or dagger or rapier. Yeah. And they play it entirely seriously. Like early on, uh, the head of the Montague family says, bring me my long sword and starts reaching for his Uzi. And later on uh, at a very pivotal moment, which I, I mean, spoilers for a 500 year old, year old text. Uh, when Romeo kills Kibbolt, he drops his gun and it says rapier, mar- uh, rapier 33 millimeter, I think, or 0.33 yeah. millimeter, which yeah. is, kind of hilarious <laughs> yeah well it's, especially because like like uh, they, they actually kind of work like make the they kind of fight with the the, the script or like like the, the sorry the cinematography kind of adapts itself to the script in some senses like to clarify like i remember there's this one scene i think it's mercutio puts down his 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 gun which has the name dagger right um yeah. so but to yeah to do that they have to take a second out of like the action to like specifically show him throwing the dagger down on the ground so that they can get the name and show that it's a dagger right which obviously mm-hmm. like isn't really necessary for the narrative because like the the point is he's disarming himself but they really tried like they really wanted the audience to know i guess that uh this is like as accurate as possible to the script that that's kind of felt like that was, that was the biggest importance of, of this movie. It wasn't like, it wasn't necessarily entirely like a modern. It was literally just like, they took this script and then pasted it into the modern world and they could around to it from what I could. I would argue it wasn't a modern retelling at all. It was literally just a telling and then they changed the setting. Um, yeah, there you what go. It, what, what's interesting about this is I've actually seen this idea done in live theater plenty of times where like uh, I, I saw a while ago, a because uh, in high school I did have to read Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. And uh, afterwards our, teach, our English teacher took us to see excerpts. I don't think he took us to see the whole thing, but uh, the local theater company was putting on Julius Caesar and they did a special day where they just showed us like pivotal scenes from it. So we had like, I think Julius Caesar is like a three hour play. And we had roughly, uh, we, we saw like an hour and a half. Um, but anyway, we went to that and it was all Shakespearean dialogue, but they weren't wearing old Roman tunics or anything. They were wearing general, military general uniforms and stuff like that because yeah. they wanted to show in, in theater, you can do that because what you're showing through that is that even though the text is really old, it's still relevant to the modern day. And the way you do that is visually. But since film is a visual medium, it's a lot more jarring or like, since film is a much more deliberate visual medium, I'll say it's a lot more jarring when you uh, just change the setting that way. So what I would say about this movie, I mean, I guess we've already said it, but this movie is, 
very jarring and not a good introduction, but if you know it already, then this is just applying a theater technique that already exists, and it's doing it mostly pretty competently. I don't know if I want to say well, but it's definitely doing it. I mean, they know what they're doing. Everything yep. in this movie is very deliberate anyway. Yeah, I'd say um, especially with uh, like the cinematography, like it's a very active movie you know like it reminds me a lot of um because I, I i personally i've only seen one other one other bad lerman movie so i'm not too familiar with it, uh with his style but he, like after watching this movie like his style is at least from this is like very, very obvious uh very sporadic camera movements uh cartoonish characters very colorful settings um but especially just like um shit i i forgot <laughs> i forgot where i was going with what, what were you talking about before uh we were talking about we were talking about changing just the setting and um how this movie did it i think and then you had oh. started talking about baz Luhrmann's style <laughs> you make that so okay yeah. no, I, those, I... those are related things yeah okay <laughs> um but yeah so um he really makes he, he really gives this movie a lot of character despite his uh, obvious, you know, lack of uh, really developing, like changing the the actual script in any way, right? Um, so this is definitely like I'd say a movie for, like, because we said before, it's not an introductory movie, but it's, I wouldn't even say it's a movie like a great mo movie in general for someone that's first like getting into like, uh, just like the general movie fan, you know. This is like it feels like a movie that's made for. Romeo and Juliet fans specifically. You know what oh, I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. This is a movie that's made for people that enjoy Shakespeare and know Shakespeare. Because yeah. this is a really good take on Romeo and Juliet um, without... I mean, there's lots of good takes in cinema on Romeo and Juliet, but, you know, they're all... They change the story to fit something else. Like, I mean, I guess cinema... Um, what was I going to say? Musicals. There's West Side Story, but that's, you know, the theming is very similar to Romeo and Juliet. It's, a, it's essentially the same story, but they rewrote it to work properly. There's other, yeah. like, oh, half of the Hollywood love stories are, about, are basically Romeo and Juliet, but they rewrote them to, rewrote it to work in whatever setting they're working with. They yeah, did not they, rewrite a word of this. Yeah, and they modernize and yet, it and stuff. To... Yeah. But this was, yeah, this was more like a love letter to to this this play. Yeah, and I think that honestly, even the act of not adapting Romeo and or not changing Romeo and Juliet when you bring it into the modern age is in itself a risk. And I wanted to talk about how many risks this movie takes. Surprisingly, because you on the surface it seems like it takes no risks since it changes literally none of the script, but it actually is doing a lot of really weird stuff, including changing none of the script. This movie actually, I do wanna, I, I wanna bring this up. Uh, this movie at the 1997 BAFTAs, which were the 51st British Academy of Film and Television Awards, uh, this movie beat Titanic for best adapted screenplay. Oh no, it didn't beat Titanic. Titanic wasn't up for best adapted screenplay, but it won best adapted screenplay, beating out, a bun beating out three other movies which I don't remember what they were, but it beat Titanic in several places and it won Best Adapted Screenplay. And that's really interesting because it kind of looks like the screenplay isn't adapted at all. Obviously it is because the screenplay is more than just the dialogue, but it's, yeah. this, this movie goes out of its way to restrict itself basically by not changing any of the dialogue and changing everything else. Yeah. And that's a, like, I, I think it, someone could say that like the script was very lazily done, but like, I, cause he did, or we were talking about this earlier, uh, the, the script was de definitely cut down in some sense. Yeah, but it is, it's cut down to what Romeo and Juliet usually is. A full production of Romeo and Juliet, every single word takes about three, takes about three hours. Usually, Romeo and Juliet will be performed as about a two-hour-long play, and that's even actually in the introduction. Uh, in the introduction of this movie, and in, in the introduction of the play, 
the uh, one of the minor characters who's basically playing the narrator says, we're going to entertain you here for two hours. In a full version of the play, it's actually three, but, Rome, but Shakespeare already preempted, like, we're going to, when you perform this, cut out some scenes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I definitely, well, would you say, like, the play, because you watch the play as well, right? Yes. Um, when watching the play, did you notice any scenes? Because I, I think, obviously, like, in, at least in the movie, there were a couple parts where, like, there wasn't um because you know in a movie like you have to establish location and stuff so there's time taken away in terms of uh just shots you know the stuff whereas in a yeah. play it's very dialogue heavy so like if you're watching the play there's probably gonna at all times i'm saying something um would you say that like did you did you notice like those differences oh i did notice the differences uh in particular uh, Montague, Romeo's father, has almost no screen time in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which, he's not that important, but in the play, you do actually get to know that character a bit. Uh, I also, I would say, uh, I would say it comes across mostly in some of the characterization, because everything they cut out was not plot relevant, but it was usually characterization stuff. I would say yeah. in the play, you get a much deeper picture of Benvolio and Mercutio's relationship specifically because mm-hmm. uh, Mercutio is introduced as Romeo's friend, uh, best friend, but throughout the play, uh, if you watch the full thing, it actually comes across a lot more like Benvolio and Mercutio are way tighter than Romeo and Mercutio because yeah. they, are n- they are inseparable where Romeo will just like pop in and out. And then... I, I want to talk about about the characters, and do you want to start with? I think we should start with Romeo because Romeo is Leonardo DiCaprio. But I actually have a lot to say about a lot of the characters. I don't know that I have that much to say about Romeo. I guess we'll find out as we're talking about it. But uh, what did you think of Leonardo DiCaprio in this? Yeah, uh, I just say the I, I definitely noticed the the Titanic influence that he's starting to get. He he definitely seems the uh, like the teenage sweetheart type uh, role in this. I mean, um, to, from what I can tell, to be honest, it's hard to it's hard to not if, if you don't seem like that and you're playing Romeo, you've been cast wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, it, but it, it, I guess it it felt a lot different than his previous roles. This is the first time where he's he's been very uh, charismatic. Uh, True. Yes. Which I I think kind of. Uh, sets him up for like the middle, the middle part of his career with Titanic and Catch Me If You Can. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, he had a cool see. I think I thought he had a uh, cool, cool play. Enragement when Mercutio died, uh, which was yeah. his friend, and um, I think that's the first time we really see him. I've seen that Leo a few times, just like the crazy, angry Leo. Uh, I, it kind of reminded me of like parts of Wolf of Wall Street um, and Django Unchained. Uh, so that that was like it, I, I like this movie because we definitely this does feel like this the second stage of Leo. Um, we're starting to see some more familiar concepts that he he brings to acting. So yeah, it's especially it's especially interesting because in terms of acting for this, like this doesn't have to be a very experimental role. Like he doesn't he doesn't really have to step out of himself at all really he's performing a very by the he's performing a uh a character that all that character needs is not all that the actor who plays romeo really needs is natural charisma and the ability to read his line and leonardo dicaprio has those things but he does actually bring quite a bit to romeo even though i personally think romeo not not in this version specifically but in, in the play, I don't think Romeo is one of the more interesting characters. He's, he's kind of, he's fairly generic by comparison to the others. So this isn't a character that really requires him to do very much um, in terms of expanding his horizons. And yet he kind of does. And we get to see bits and pieces of later Leo in this. Yeah, and that, that was nice to see. But yeah, not really challenging. Um, I, again, like, I guess it's just, 
Yeah, the role is just tough. You know, honestly, the characters of Romeo and Juliet aren't very relatable and, like, frankly, like, kind of ridiculous. Um, but they're they're played very seriously, obviously, um, especially because mm-hmm. they are the main characters. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like the, the, it's just like the they're they're just in love. That's like their whole arc, their whole story. Not much to play with here. Leo did all right. I wouldn't say. I'd say for uh, I I don't know the actress's name for Juliet. Uh, Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Um, I thought she did a pretty solid job too. Uh, she she made the character of Juliet like kind of interesting with like um i thought her her dealing with uh, the conflict with her parents was uh like the the emotion she brought to that part of the role was really cool because on like there were uh, specifically towards the end of the movie there were parts where you know she had to act very very uh in in love with with romeo and then the next scene she's like a complete wreck because she has to deal with her parents um mm-hmm. and just like how life has been kind of cruel to her in the past the past past two or three days i think yeah um, it's, this so takes yeah. place over about a week it's a very yeah. intense love story over like seven days it is that's why it does like especially when you put it into the modern setting it it, it feels kind of comedic um and i think it kind of mm-hmm. highlights a lot of or uh, I've I've read some theories that like Shakespeare was was playing was actually thought of Romeo and Juliet more as a a satire of love rather than rather than a parody or rather than a tragedy that um, he's usually he's usually writing about or he's I think what he's most known for writing about. Uh, right. So and this I think this definitely comes more or feels more viable when watching this movie because yeah like essentially I think. I think Romeo proposes to Juliet the night they meet, um, and I uh, believe so. Yeah, yeah, and it's not like there's no montage of them hanging out and talking. You see their whole conversation. It's and it's basically, I you are you look amazing. I love you. I want to marry you. Oh, we see every interaction they ever have. Yeah, and there's not much depth to these interactions, unfortunately. Just no varying, varying quotes on or different ways of saying how much they love the other person. You know? Yeah. Um, they make it like I'm not gonna lie. Shakespeare, Shakespeare actually makes this. He has some very. Like, I never really appreciated this before, but he has some very interesting dialogue, and he he actually makes that relationship much more interesting than it should have ever been able to be because it feels. Uh, well, in the same way, it feels a lot more, even though it's very ridiculous and over the top, it feels, if not, uh, I want to say it feels more real than it has any right to. Real isn't yeah. quite the word. It's just when you see these characters, you definitely believe they are madly in love. Whether or not that's, you know, whether or not that feels real or not is something different. But like, it's very believable in any case. Yeah, like, well, okay, I was able to suspect disbelief, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and because I I don't the story kind of makes you cheer for them, you know. Um, mm-hmm. even though how even considering how ridiculous this is, what's more ridiculous is um at least specifically I found like Juliet's parents and all their friends around them like treating their relationship, you know. So it's kind of like everything's yeah. kind of silly and over the top um and unbelievable but then like it makes you cheer for them because everyone else in the movie is way more annoying slash unbelievable you know Mm -hmm. so yeah uh who who are the characters you were really interested in talking oh i mean i probably don't have that much to say about him specifically but uh this movie stars paul rudd as a huge tool (laughs) uh which uh, he's, I mean, I have a friend who's maybe going to listen to this podcast and he'll agree with this statement. Paul Rudd is really good at playing a tool. Um, Paul Rudd plays Paris. I did not even realize Paul Rudd was going to be in this movie. And there he is playing the rival to Romeo, essentially. Uh, and he plays that role really good because Paris is a huge scumbag and Paul Rudd comes across 
pretty believably as like it's it's weird because Paul Rudd's character comes across the way he plays him. Paul Rudd comes across as kind of likable and overall probably a good guy, but also kind of a scumbag when it comes to uh, relationships. Um, because he's sort of, he's I, sort of, sorry, go ahead. yeah, no, no, you, you go ahead. I, I just want to say, I, I see what you're saying. I, I did feel more that he was kind of like, just like, dumb, you know, like he seemed like a very sweet guy, you know, obviously it's Paul Reddy's very handsome. Um, mm-hmm. and he, he seemed like, you know, like he, he wasn't really, uh, at least for like, most of the movie, from what I could tell, he wasn't really like a direct like antagonist to the relationship. You know, he's just no. kind of like he's he's just kind of there. And unfortunately, his parents or Julia's parents really like him. Um, but I I did I actually really I don't know if maybe if it's just Paul Rudd, but I I really liked the way he played it. Um, I actually I I was just about to say that I really liked the way that he played this role because throughout the movie. Uh, Paris's character is he's courting Juliet, but he's doing it mostly through her parents. Yeah. And early on, his interactions with Juliet, few and far between, are fine. Like they get along. Uh, Juliet isn't super into him, but she's not rejecting him either. And you yeah. know, he's obviously very into her. But then later on, when he when she does outright reject him, even in the way that he continues to be pleasant after that, Paul Rudd really. Uh, you really see kind of his frustration with this whole thing as well, because he knows I, I got in his performance that uh, while he knows that he's definitely going to get the girl in the end, he also knows that she doesn't want him very much, even though he doesn't know all of the specifics about Romeo. And I really, yeah. I felt like Paul Rudd did that frustration really well, even though he didn't have to do much more than just smile and look nice. Yeah, it is. It is definitely weird seeing. I I can't imagine uh, a role where Paul Rudd like this is a very un-Paul Rudd like you know. Oh, it's role. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd playing the charismatic antagonist is extremely non-Paul Rudd. I don't. Yeah. I've never seen Paul Rudd in a role like that. Um, I guess was this one of his first roles? Like he looked, he looked very young. Like I mean, he still looks pretty young. I mean, like, he was he very young. Eighteen or I don't, nineteen or something in this. I'm gonna check, but uh, yeah, keep talking about Paul Rudd. Uh, but yeah, like, um, I think from what I can tell, the only other role I know that he was in around this time was Friends. But even that was like I think 2002. He he entered. So he and was, this was 96, right? This yeah, was so. 96. This was his second, his third, his third film. Yeah. So, um, and I, I think his third, I think is only his second as a major character. Yeah. So yeah. And he wasn't in Friends uh, for another six years. Yeah. Holy. It's, a, it's really cool to see him. I don't know what he was like in Friends, but like this, yeah, this was very, very different type of role for Paul Rudd I don't maybe I just I I don't seem as much of an asshole because I see Paul Rudd and you know like he's always a very likable guy in his movies uh yeah it's hard to get a gauge on that but yeah he was a very pleasant surprise to have yeah it was really interesting I think he was he was for me the most recognizable other person than Leonardo DiCaprio which I guess is kind of a shame because in the uh in the original um, in the original play, especially, and also in this, I would say my favorite character is probably Benvolio, who is Leonardo DiCaprio's cousin. Uh, sorry, not Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo's cousin. And he gets almost as much, he probably gets as much screen time as Romeo in this play. Um, depending on how much of the play you watch, he gets the most screen time. He's, kind, he's the guy that starts off the whole, the, the whole show, and he's pretty constant throughout the thing. I don't even know who the, what the actor's name in this, but he was, uh, I really liked him. I don't know that he, I don't know. What did you think of Benvolio? If you remember him? Um, I thought he was all right. I don't know why, but I was really distracted with the way he looked. Um, uh, yeah, he definitely, it was, it was strange because Benvolio is a charismatic dude and he's 
you know, he's got kind of an interesting personality. I would say of all of them, he might be the most generic. Maybe I'm just more attracted to generic characters. But um, in this movie, I don't think he necessarily did. He didn't really experiment with that role very much. He was just very much there. And it was very strange to see him because he is like, he's like a very tall dude bro from the 90s. And like, that's the only way I can think of to describe him. He's very, that's, that's just who he is. He's just like some guy. Yeah. I did like his uh, expression sometimes though. He had some oh. very funny, scared expressions. Uh. Yeah. He, he played, he played his character very larger than life uh, mm-hmm. to kind of, I guess to kind of accommodate for the fact that Benvolio is actually not that. Yeah. Which is fair. I thought I thought it really fit uh, the theme, like the or the the general styling of the movie. Yeah, that was nice. I loved Mercutio. Um, Mercutio was interesting in this. He, I thought, I don't, I, I was, I, was very, I don't know how much of it is just like the take of the character that they put on him. Uh, but I, I thought the actor was really good, like scene stealing. Um, I thought he was, but I, I also like I think the character was very set up to be to be a scene stealer in that way. Um, just very charismatic, very loud. Uh, definitely like, at, at least at the start is a very kind of propels the plot forward. Uh, yeah. But uh, overall, yeah, I just, I really like um, the actor and um, despite when, when he dies uh, and how like the, even though the movie overall is very um, like, I think, cartoonish and uh erratic and spontaneous i think the his death scene he he executed very well i was able to buy like the the very i don't know if it was baz lerman or the acting but i was very much able to buy the transition from uh kind of it felt what felt like a light-hearted romance common to to tragedy and 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 this this all happens in in the span of about two minutes right um and i think his yeah was integral to to pulling off that transition because in the end he is the one that kind of uh starts starts the descent into tragedy and about halfway through you want to uh would you mind looking up the name of the actor for mercutio uh just while i talk about him real quick yeah Yeah, yeah. i would say that Mercutio, I think in the in the play, Mercutio is set up to be a scene stealer, but um, in order for that to work, you need the you need the actor playing Mercutio to be really good. And this actor, I would say, I've only seen two versions of Romeo and Juliet, but uh, sorry, I don't know if that came across. I've only seen two versions of Romeo and Juliet. But I would say that this actor was the best Mercutio I've seen, even if I didn't love every decision, I guess. Because mm. Mercutio is a very, he's a very, flam- he's not necessarily flamboyant. I want to say flamboyant. I don't know if that's the right word. But in, even in the normal, in the uh, regular play, he's a very charismatic, extremely like active character. He's, he's the one driving every scene that he's in forward. Uh, like you said. And he's, uh, he's, he steals every scene he's in. Uh, like if Romeo and him are in a scene, that's probably why he's not in very many scenes with Romeo, because even though they are supposedly best friends, he will out, he, he's going to out character Romeo at every single turn. And he does, um, yeah. which is probably also the reason that he pairs so well with Benvolio because Benvolio doesn't have to do much. He's kind of the audience surrogate, honestly. Uh, but Mercutio has the best lines in the movie or in the play, and he also just is doing the most in the whole play. And in this movie, the actor who plays Mercutio just kills it at every scene. And also, he does a very interesting take, which I suppose is probably at least partially Baz Luhrmann, because this uh, this Mercutio is um, kind of explicitly explicitly flamboyant. Like, he's, he's walking around in a corset at the party. Uh, he's very... Um, Gosh, I don't know any other words other than flamboyant. But he's, you know, he he also, his Queen Mab speech turns into a justification for him giving Romeo ecstasy, which is a very interesting choice. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I was 
that was just like that was the one time where the movie just kind of i was just I, I think that part of the movie was where i was just like what am i watching i was still in that section i was like what is this why are they I, taking ecstasy if off in romeo and juliet i thought it was i thought it was an interesting choice i think there may have been other choices that would have also been valid but i think that was a good way to get them to a party that they could then like show off as weirdly antiquated while also keeping it in the 90s yeah uh yeah just because like it seemed like a dream sequence by that point anyway um yeah did you uh were you able to find the actor's name for mercutio uh yes his name is harold perino harold perino yeah this is uh a couple tv shows uh sons of anarchy um but other than that yeah mostly he's been in a few films too but not big roles like he was in zero dark 30 but i can't tell you where he was in that movie i guess it's a bit of a shame that it's not a name that i knew better because he was he killed it in this movie he may have been the standout performance oh he was in lost too right a very big tv show i didn't know that was so sick uh but yeah i I agree. I, I, I definitely see he was the he was a scene stealer. Uh, his role was yeah, his role is important because death to land, you have to really like the actor too. So obviously, I think they put a lot of effort into casting. Um, yeah, and um, this death. I mean, I'm I'm gonna probably keep bringing up the other version that I saw. I liked the other version of Mercutio as well, but his death scene in the uh, in the play production that I saw. Uh, he, he didn't, he didn't really bring it. Uh, it was mostly played like his death scene is very odd Mercutio's because half of the lines can be played for laughs if you want to, and half of the lines absolutely cannot. So you really have to, you have an, have to have an actor who like you can have it as an actor, you can cha- you can choose to either play that death scene seriously or try and ham it up. But what you need is an actor who can kind of hit both in a way that makes sense, uh, which doesn't make sense, just describing it. Um, but in this movie, he actually pulled it off because at the very beginning, you know, he gets, he gets stabbed or I guess uh, shot. No, he gets stabbed in this one too by a glass shard in this movie. And... Um, he the, the first thing he does is he like limps around and people are like oh i didn't realize that mercutio was going to die i hope he's okay mercutio are you okay and he does his whole it's a scratch thing and yeah. uh you know walks around plays everything up for laughs he's joking and then by the end he's saying a plague on both your houses and he's saying very serious he's actually cursing both of these people tybalt and romeo yeah uh, and then he dies and yeah. it's very it's it's interesting how he just the words of that, you can play as an actor, you can play that mostly for laughs. And like, then the ending comes off weird because the ending is very, very serious. Or you could play everything for laughs, or I mean, or you could play everything seriously. And then the beginning wouldn't work. And this actor, uh, Henry, what did you say his name was? Harold Perrineau. Harold Perrineau. Harold Perrineau like really hits it with both, with, every one of those lines because at the beginning he's able to like do sort of his strained i'm joking uh mode and then by the end he's actually angry at all of these people and that's really coming across and then he dies which that cannot be easy to do as an actor i can't imagine yeah Um, so yeah perhaps mercutio is just the role that Maybe Mercutio is just the role that requires like the best actor, but I think that uh, Harold Perrineau really pulled it off. He did an incredible job. Yeah, I could see that. He, I, I agree completely. Um, any other characters you wanted to point out? Um, I really liked the priest, who I cannot remember the name of, Father something. What, um, what has he been in before? He- he was very familiar, and I don't remember what he's been in. Probably like some crime shows that our parents used to watch. But uh, let me 
let me find out. I really liked him um, partially because I knew him, but also he's kind of he's kind of the mentor character for uh, Romeo mostly in this. Yeah. Um, what what else did, did you want to say anything about him? Or I, I guess I brought him up, didn't I? Uh no, I just I just he looked really familiar. He was in uh, the Lost World, Jurassic Park, too. Uh, oh, okay. That's what oh, I recognize. He was the main villain. He's been in a and lot of things. He oh, he was in Inception. Been. We're gonna we're gonna talk about him later. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, like apparently Spielberg says he's the best actor he's ever worked with, which is kind of wow. Cool. Um, I yeah, really was, liked him in this, okay. and actually he had a. He had another one of the scenes that I thought was very explanatory uh, in this, the way that it was shot. Because in, um, in the play, he's introduced talking to himself while doing something. And because it's a play uh, and they have limited props, it's not really clear what he's doing. In this movie, the way they shot it, he's in his greenhouse. He's collecting, um, he's collecting plants and he's talking about the properties of these plants to some kids that just happen to be there. And that's really important because this is the guy who later creates the poison that Romeo and Juliet both take, or no, that Juliet takes to kill herself. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really, uh, that was really nice. Um, just, just seeing that scene for the second time, I was like, oh, okay, that's what's happening here. Um, also, I thought he was just—he was just a good character. I really liked the just visual choice. I don't know how much it necessarily meant, but I liked the visual choice of him being a priest with a huge tattoo of the cross on his back. Yeah, that was crazy. I don't know why that 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 image was so ingrained in my mind, but yeah. But like, yeah, it, it worked. Yeah, definitely gave him a character right away. Um, I was gonna say, uh, but. Oh, I love the nanny for yes, Juliet. Yes, that, that was the other person I was going to bring up. Yeah, she was just very, uh, very great way. I don't know, like, I think it, it might just be the character too, but I thought the actor played it really well. Just um, like the, the playful attitude she brought to the role. Um, it was, it felt very familial, you know, um, which I think mm -hmm. like, Juliet really needed because uh, the the parts we see with her parents are very non-familial, and um, this uh, her character, uh, the the nanny character, uh, really is able to ground Juliet and gives her someone that she can easily relate to to bounce off of, um, and kind of we get we get some I think uh, fun charismatic scenes with Juliet that kind of flesh out her character more. Uh, because yeah, like she's not really able to be herself around her family at all in this movie in general. Uh, yeah, and so, um, uh, I thought the nanny character was really important, and her name is Miriam Margolis. Uh, played it very well. I loved her. I think that the nanny character. I mean, even in just in general, uh, in the in the Shakespearean play, uh, the nanny character and the uh, father. Um, whose name I've already forgotten, but uh, the, the priest and the nanny character are really important because most of Juliet and Romeo's interactions, obviously not their direct interactions, but lots of their indirect interactions are specifically through those two characters. So the, they're basically proxy characters for the main characters, which is, it's interesting how important that is in this play because it's a play named after two characters that, have a few meaningful interactions, but actually aren't able to meet each other very much. Yeah, that's true, actually. And when they do meet, <laughs> again, their their interactions aren't very thought provoking or in depth. So they're actually pretty hollow. With yeah, I mean, they, we get some good we get some good quotes like uh, a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. That's that's from one of their interactions. But that's not even from them talking to each other. That's just something she says right before Romeo comes in. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought, the, I guess, yeah, the priest and the nanny both kind of being this uh, representation of each other, of, of Romeo and Juliet, um, respectively. Uh, 
I, yeah, did a, a really good job. Um, and they were, I think they really helped ground the movie. I think they were the only characters that acted, you know, slightly normal. Um, while also being as just as entertaining, in my opinion, as everyone else. Yeah, I would yeah. say they acted believable in, like, they acted normal, they acted believable in a normal way. Like, many of the characters in this were believable within their context. Yeah. But these characters acted like real people, just very excited real people. Like, the priest was ready to go to marry them, to, like, let true love win and just make everything a good time for Romeo. Um, but also, you know, he didn't do anything that seemed rash in a way that didn't make sense. If that makes yeah. sense, I guess. I, I agree. And the, nanny, and the nanny was very similar, just for Juliet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, like, I, uh, I guess a couple other highlights would be Juliet's father played his role Actually, both Juliet's parents played it pretty well. Um, I remember that scene with the father yelling uh, was actually like I, I thought insane, convincing. I've not I, a very good showing of rage for such a minor character. You know, um, I thought that was actually yes. like very impressive, um, and really kind of set uh, the because I, I guess at one point in the movie suicidal, which I guess well she literally. <laughs> It becomes kind of literal in the end. Um, but I that the his rage and or the parents' rage collectively, specifically the father, um, really helped me buy like her being so desperate in her position. Um, mm-hmm. and then also one other one was I guess we already talked about him, but the who played Tybalt John Leguizamo. Uh, John Leguizamo, yes. Yeah, he was really good at just kind of being a douchebag, <laughs> from what I could tell. Uh, oh, oh, man, I loved him in this role. I loved John Leguizamo anyway, but he was very, he was a very good villain in this. Yeah, he made me hate him very quickly and easily, so he did his job very well. Um, gosh, who, yeah. there was someone else. Was there someone else I wanted to talk about? I'm not even sure. Um, Anyways, I, I uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I, I really liked this movie, just in oh. general. Uh, yeah, of course, wanna... again, oh, oh sorry. Uh, sorry. I, I do want to say this movie, you should not watch this movie if you've never seen or read Romeo and Juliet. Make sure that you have done that first. I don't even think that reading a summary is good enough because I knew the basic premise. And I still had no idea what was happening the first time I watched this movie. However, if you have seen or read Romeo and Juliet, this is a really, really good take on it. Yeah, um, it was. I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought Baz Luhrmann was definitely like the key to this movie um, at all. At least like from what I can tell. I don't know how much what, what the behind the scenes process was like, but uh like i thought his energy was the energy he brought to to the script was insanely like infectious uh he made this movie in a lot of space in a lot of places almost like an action movie like the very beginning of this is such an energetic opening it the i i honestly didn't even realize i was watching a movie at the beginning i was like is this is this a, is this a movie that starts with a trailer for the movie because yeah. it was that kind of energy yeah it felt it felt like the the camera was very active um which i thought thought like like on the gunfights in general like they aren't very complex you know because like in the in the script it's just like i think they fight with swords if even that um at the start am i wrong well what no they fight with they fight with guns at the start. There's no spot in this movie where they actually no. fight with swords. Sorry, but I what's mean, interesting? I mean, oh, oh, you meant in the play? Yeah, they would fight with swords. And what I really appreciated about uh, the action scenes in this is that even though they were using guns, uh, whoever they got to choreograph this movie put a lot of thought into this, and they were choreographed almost as if they were fighting with swords 
though they obviously weren't. Like in the very beginning, when John Leguizamo is shooting at people, he is, you know, using all of the choreographic flourishes he would be using with a rapier, except that he's using guns. Two yeah. pistols. Yeah. Um, and it, it looks ridiculous, but it is, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, I'd say it, it was, it felt very reminiscent of, I kind of got some hints of, of Sam Raimi with the camera movement. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and then like, uh, specifically like the action scenes kind of, kind of felt like a PG version of like, uh, Quentin Tarantino scenes in some ways, you know, like very, uh, it was just very, at least from what I remember, it's just like very loud and overly, uh, like how, how do you describe it? Just like, um, just like, yeah, I guess lots of movement, lots of care, like personality in, in the fight scenes, like kind of cartoonish in some ways. Um, and very, mm-hmm. intense. uh, so like, again, like I, I thought like, obviously, like, I think the action is a very tiny part of what makes Romeo and Juliet work. Uh, but there was, I, I thought the action scenes were just like very fun to watch, you know? Well, you say it's a tiny part of what makes it work, but I don't know if I fully agree because you mentioned very early into this that there are that you've read theories that uh, Shakespeare was satirizing love stories at the same time as making a tragedy, and I really think that comes across in this movie because this movie is completely over the top. It's absolutely ridiculous in so many areas, and yet it still hits emotionally hard everywhere it's supposed to. So this is. You know, this is the epitome of being both a satire of what it's supposed to be talking about, as well as being a really hard-hitting tragedy, which I think comes across in Baz Luhrmann's direction. Yeah, that's actually okay. I could, um, if if that's the case, then yeah, he pulled that off really well. Um, also, and, yeah, uh, in, in I, terms of cult, like, uh. Not just cinematography, but like the I thought the colors were just amazingly uh, vivid. Um, it kind of it definitely f- felt it didn't really feel like a '90s movie, if that makes sense. I um, disagree. It felt peak '90s to me. But how peak do you 90s? Mean? Well, just like the the color palettes made me feel very uh, like this. I, I might just be like completely off off base here, but like this, like it felt very seventies in terms of in terms of like the the car. It was very the colors were very cartoon, um, and, mm, okay. and vibrant. Um, I might just be like stereotyping the seventies for like disco and stuff, and, and like because I actually haven't seen that many movies from the seventies. Uh, Fair enough. But and then like the the sets were were all amazing. Like this movie was actually shot. Very cheaply, uh, or relatively cheaply, like fourteen million dollars. Um, but oh, yeah. I, I never felt like like any of the sets were were too small. Um, it, it felt like a very lived-in world and everything. So, uh, like honestly, just like amazing props to Baz Luhrmann. I never thought I would he would be the guy I was like most complimenting when I talked about this movie. Uh, he really like built a um, and like. The way he was able to balance the the tone of comedic and romantic mixed in with tragedy just so seamlessly uh, mm-hmm. just really sold this movie. And like, because honestly, like on paper, this is an insanely hard movie to pull off. Insanely hard. I don't I don't know how he yes. did it. But I, I honestly I, don't know how he sold this movie because on paper, this movie is literally Romeo and Juliet but we changed the setting, which I don't know how any movie studio buys that. Right, yeah, but it, it made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, because, yeah, honestly, it was, it was just very enjoyable overall. I, I thought there were times where, where it was kind of silly, but I think it really, it, 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 it was, it's really interesting how he embraces, like, this, the, the, the silliness of what he's doing with, taking the 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 source material extremely seriously you know um yeah again i i, I kind of want to compare him to raimi sam raimi with the spider-man movies um 
I don't know how, or maybe even like Ash or Evil Dead, because uh, overall, like he, like at, at least with Spider-Man off the source material, he really embraces everything about Spider-Man that is amazing while also kind of making comic books in general uh, with, with yeah. some, with some aspects, you know, like he, he, he makes it very, it's very corny. And, but I think out of that corniness, rather than like, it, it's not kind of like a, he doesn't do it. He doesn't make fun of the genre out of uh, like, this is beneath me. It's, it's very much out of love. And uh, I think Baz Luhrmann also does this. And that's why like, it doesn't feel, pretentious in any way uh which i think again like is very easy to do if you're literally just copy and pasting like the william shakespeare script you know uh yeah well as you mentioned earlier you 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 called this a love letter to romeo and juliet and it really this is this is a movie that wow this isn't just a movie that he made because he's like i want to direct romeo and juliet this is a movie he made because he loves that play and wanted to show the world his version yeah exactly uh that's i actually never thought of it that way before yeah it definitely feels like he he saw romeo and juliet and he saw that because like honestly like in you know when i when people read this at least when i read it in high school i didn't really seem to care about about it uh, and I think the, the language was kind of a barrier to that in some ways. And then also just like, it felt like a very stereotypical story, very boring, but, uh, he adds a lot of flavor to it, um, without diluting any aspects of what makes Romeo and Shakespeare, Romeo and Shakespeare, you know, like, I think it could have been very easy or right, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I think it could have been very easy to like change some aspects. Like you, like you mentioned earlier, this movie actually like takes place over two days or two or like a week. Um, yeah. Not very and, long. Yeah. And like, I think especially nowadays, I think a lot of like, for example, I think of frozen uh, there. Disney was taking the concept of, of uh, the princess movie of falling in love so instantly. And then kind of giving it a modern take uh, to make it more believable and more, um, appreciated by modern audiences, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, which which worked for them. But and I thought a modern retelling of this of Romeo and Juliet could have easily like switched that around. Um, but no, like it was very very literal, and uh, I thought that made it very interesting too. So he he, t- I think he, I love how he took the hardest possible way to make this movie, um, and not only did he make it work, but he made it he made it very. You know, like it wasn't mm-hmm. just by the book, you know. So, uh, yeah, honestly, like he did, he did great. I think he's a amazing director, at least for this movie. Well, I have to say, uh, I believe this has been our longest episode of losing it over Leo yet, and I'm sure it won't be our longest overall. But my goodness, we've been talking about this movie for like an hour now. Yeah, that's true. And. I mean, it warrants it. We're not talking about this movie for an hour just because we want to fill time. This is that, there's that much to talk about in this movie. And so, like, I think it's, I think we should probably wrap it up, but I'm going to say, again, don't watch this if you haven't, if you have no experience with the play, but this is a really good version of Romeo and Juliet, and you should see it eventually, for sure. And if you've already seen Romeo and Juliet, in some version watch this immediately it's very good uh yeah i agree i again i like i I wouldn't say this is like the best movie ever i think i've praised it a lot um i just i i would say though that i love more more than anything like i love when a movie or uh really sort of puts a lot of heart into their movie and you can feel it and you can uh Hmm. and and takes insane risks and and it pays off in terms of like i think it paid off because he cared about the movie so much right this this yeah again you could tell there was so much thought and detail into every every shot every scene uh and um it you really felt it so yeah like not 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 like i wouldn't say this was like like a 10 out of 10 or like maybe even like a nine or nine out of 10 or eight out of 10 um 
but I will say that uh, the the risks that it took and the the creative drive behind it are just really infectious. And that's what I personally, that's what I love most about movies. Like it doesn't have to be a perfect movie. I just want to see a movie do something different that I've never seen before. And uh, this movie definitely fulfills that category for me. I agree wholeheartedly. And when you're saying that, I'm actually reminded, I hope, I, I wonder if people, I hope people have heard it by now. Uh, our Velociraptor episode of Classic Movies Live sort of, it, it reminds me of this actually. So Romeo and Juliet, again, I wouldn't, I mean, like you, I wouldn't give it a nine, uh, even probably an eight out of 10. I think that this is a movie with a barrier to entry, which to me automatically lowers it a couple of points. Mm. But you can tell that Baz Luhrmann cared. And it's very, and it's very similar to Velocipaster where, you know, at a technical level, the movie is not perfect by any means. In fact, by, some, by lots of metrics, it's not even... However, you can tell that... Uh, what was his name? Brendan Steer? Brendan Steer really cared about that movie and getting what he wanted to say across. And that is, in, all, in most movies, that's the most important thing. I would say that, like, you can... Even if it's not always clear that a director really cared about their movie, like there's there's plenty of movies that have been Oscar winners and rightfully so, where you can't necessarily tell that the director cared, but you can really ca- tell when a director doesn't care. Yeah, and that... those movies are easily the worst that you see, because if the director's just phoning it in the whole time, then you get something like Oscar, uh, like Academy Award winner Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, there you go, right? Uh, yeah, so um, definite, definite recommend. And probably my favorite movie so far from Losing It Over Leo. I, I really don't want to agree with you there, but I do. So let's see how Titanic goes, because that will be our next episode on episode five of Losing It Over Leo. That will be the end of our early period Leo. Yeah. And I'm excited to see it. I've been waiting for this movie a long time. This has been a long time coming. And this movie is, what, three hours long? Four hours long? Eight hours yeah. long? So it'll also be <laughs> a long time watching it. Yeah, so I'm assuming that, like, if any, if any other Leonardo DiCaprio movie is going to be a longer episode than this, it'll be either Titanic or probably The Wolf of Wall Street, because those are the only those are the only movies that he's done that I remember uh, that are on this list that are over three hours. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'm excited for the next one because uh, I I'm not going to go into a huge discussion about Romeo and Juliet now. I think we're about done, but uh, I will say while he was a main actor in this. He was less of a presence than some other actors. And I think that will not be the case in Titanic. I think he's going to be a big presence in that, which is going to be really nice. So we're going to see the culmination of 10 years of Leonardo DiCaprio coming together in Titanic. And we'll see you guys then. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I guess tune in next time.